So, on this Sunday where we are intentionally and, and, and uh, deliberately focusing upon the concept of family and, and raising up children and uh, having a, a time of baby dedication at the end of the, the service, I want us to look at two different Psalms. We're also going to look at Deuteronomy 6. We'll briefly bring up a couple other passages of Scripture, but we're going to look at Psalm 127. Psalm 139, and then Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if if you're in the habit of taking notes during the sermon, wonderful. If you're not in the habit of taking notes during the sermon, I would at least encourage you, jot down those three references, or type it into your phone, send a text message to yourself, or make a digital note, whatever you uh, decide to do. But Psalm 127, Psalm 139, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, as we consider the gift of family and children and parenting. So, Psalm 127, really focusing on verses 3, 4, and 5. And what we're going to do, I'm going to read all of this Scripture. I'm going to make minimal remarks. But then after we read some of these Scriptures, then I'll begin kind of unpacking them and sharing some things that I think all of us ought to deeply consider. So Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So, just a few brief remarks from those verses. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The reason... That men and women are able to come together in marriage and, and procreate and be fruitful and multiply is because that is God's design. That is God's order. Was it not for God creating that order and giving that command? Were it not for God making it so that men and women could be fruitful and multiply? There would be no children. There would be no offspring. So we began just simply considering that straightforward, plain biblical truth. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Parents ought to rejoice because the fruit of the womb is a reward. I know school just started. I will make this as a brief aside. I know that uh, typically when school starts, we see social media posts and everything else, and parents are having a little bit of fun saying, oh, the kids are going back to school, and it's almost like the parents are celebrating because whew, we, get, we get some of our days back. And I understand that that's all in good fun, but I'm going to use that to put up against the fact that at the end of the day, each parent should rejoice in the fact, and each and every time we look at our children, no matter how many times they've colored on the wall with crayon, or the table, no matter how many times they've made a mess after we told them not to pull toys out, no matter how many times we're having to remind them of the same thing that we've taught them a hundred times already, they're a gift and they're a blessing and they are a reward. God did not have to give us offspring. And yet, in His abundant goodness and grace and mercy, He has given many of us multiple offspring. And so we should rejoice in that. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, consider that. 
And I'm fighting myself on this one not to just preach a sermon on that one verse because I've got other things I want to mention. But children are a heritage from the Lord. Fruit of the womb is or fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. There's great importance, there's great significance in children. There is great reward in raising up children well. Arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one Jew. Imagine, imagine a warrior going out to war with his, with his bow, but he has no arrows in his quiver. He will not be very victorious in his endeavors. He will not be very successful in his endeavors. But a warrior who goes out with a quiver full will probably carry much reward, much success, and victory along with that. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And I will mention briefly, I'll put that up against, I know that we live in a day and age where there's a lot of importance, there's great significance placed upon family planning, even people who are not married yet. Uh, They may say, well... We're going to get married in a couple of years. We'll have one kid. A couple of years after that, we'll have another. And then we're done. And they've already got it planned out. We want one boy. We want one girl. There's some that they plan to only have one child. Well, we're going to have one, one kid and then, and then that's that. Or we might want three. But we're planning for three. We're going to have one. And then three years later, we're going to do this. And then, then after that, we'll have another one. And nothing against planning. There's great wisdom and things being planned out. But as Christians, we should understand that one of the chief ways that God expands His kingdom is by giving His children children of their own. And we should not push that aside. We should not overlook that. We should give that great consideration that, well, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And some of you are looking at me like, that's easy for you to say. You've already got five, Caleb. (laughs) I'm not saying that because we already have five children. I'm saying that because it's a biblical truth. God tells us in His Word, blessed is the man who has a quiver full. Children are a reward. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Like arrows... In the hand of a warrior. Marriage is a gift of God. Just go back to Genesis. God created Adam and He saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. So He made Eve. And one of the very first things He told them was what? Be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Marriage is a gift. Being fruitful and being able to multiply is a gift. It is a gift to be enjoyed. It is a gift to be pursued by Christian men and women who come together in marriage in that covenant before God and intend to start a family. So we begin there just with those simple straightforward thoughts. Children are heritage from the Lord. There's great importance there. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Now that entire psalm, 
Again, if we go back to verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. One of the ways in which God builds His kingdom, one of the ways in which God builds His city, is through giving His children, children of their own, to be raised up. And the knowledge and the admonition of the Lord. Psalm 139 now. Psalm 139. Starting in verse 13. We know these first couple of verses that we're going to read very well. Uh, But I would encourage you, if you're not overly familiar with Psalm 139, me personally, it is one of my favorite psalms. But I would encourage you to acquaint yourself with it more, more so than just these verses 13 and 14 that, that many of us are overly familiar with. But we do begin there. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And now verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And here again, I'll say I'm kind of fighting myself because we could preach a whole sermon on that, that in His book, all of our days were written down in His book before we ever lived any of them. What I want to point out this morning as we consider that verse is simply this. I want each and every one of us who is here, consider your own parents first. In my case, they're looking right at me. It's a lot of pressure there. But consider your own parents. Think about each and every one of us. It's part of the fact of life. Growing up. We might have had a very strong relationship with our parents. We might have had a poor relationship with our parents. We may look back on our childhood and and, and praise God. Or we may look back on our childhood and think it was just full of turmoil. Full of strife. Full of heartbreak. We may look back on our upbringing and we we may see both. At times it was very encouraging. At times it was very great. At times it was very low. And we experienced the highs and the lows. In our upbringing. But go a step further. And I want us all to understand something. What we just read is true for all of us. Our days were written in His book. Before we ever lived any of them. You were born. To who you were born to. According to God's good and perfect will. You were not born to who you were born to by accident. Consider. In a simplistic way of saying it, consider all the possibilities. We could have been born anywhere in the world. We could have been born anywhere in the USA. We could have been born anywhere in Georgia. But many of us were born and raised right here in Glenville. Or maybe a little bit further up the road, but many of us were born and raised right here. Some of you who are transplants here, wherever you were born and wherever you were raised, that was God's intended purpose for you. 
Think about it. How silly it would be for us to say, well, before I was born, I had a meeting with my mom and dad and I said, I, li- I would like to choose you as my mother and father. And, uh, and when I'm born, uh, I-, I would like to be born uh, in Glenville. And so that- that's part of the reason why I'm choosing you, mama and daddy. Be insane for us to think that way. We know that's not how it happened. Furthermore, there was none of us who before we were born, we held counsel with God and we said, God, I would like to be born now. Thank you. It's foolishness. God planned and God ordained that we would be born to whom we were born to, where we were born, that we would have the upbringing that we had. And there is purpose and there is divine intentionality in that. And now we come to the little ones today. If you're a parent here today that's still in the process of raising your own, they have not gotten old enough to get out of the house and and begin their own lives. God did not give you your children by chance or by accident. Your children, our children, could have been born to anyone. But they weren't. They were born and they were given to us. For a reason. For a God-given reason. Reason. Do not take that lightly. And I hope that occasionally some of you would look me in the face and give me that reminder as well and say, Caleb, you don't take your responsibility as a father lightly. Because if God in His goodness planned before we were ever even born, planned that I would be born to Kelly and Karen Folsom and that later on I would be married to Kristen Knight, And that later after that, we would have Wren, Rose, and Providence. And then on top of that, we would have serenity and liberty. If God decided that that is good, then who am I to look at that and say, it's really not that good. I kind of wish it was different. If God has said that it is good, it is good. And we ought to rejoice. And we ought to celebrate our children in ways that glorify God. When I say celebrate our children, I don't mean that like people of the world sometimes mean that where you're just giving your children everything they want. I mean celebrate children in acknowledging that they are a gift from God. Turn now to Deuteronomy 6. And this is where, in a way, I'm going to say that the rubber is going to meet the proverbial road here. Because if you say, okay, Caleb, I'm with you so far. I really like those points that, that are made in Scripture. That children are a gift. Children are a heritage. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Amen. Love that. Love the gift of children. Our days were planned before we were ever even born. And it is good that God has given us children. It is good that God has given us family. I'm with you. So now, Caleb, how do we take that seriously? What are we supposed to do? And I think this is the point where many many different believers, many different pastors, many different churches may or may not have different approaches in what they tell you. Oh, here's how to be a good Christian parent. Here's how to be a good Christian father. Here's how to be a good Christian mother. The number one thing that I want to say to you is simply this. If you are concerned about how you ought to walk and to live as a Christian mother and a father, go to the Word. 
day in and day out, seek God's wisdom through His Word. You can read the books that people have written on family. You may, you may glean a little bit of good information from those things. You talk to others and their life experience. You may, you may glean some wisdom and some practical advice from other people's life experiences who have already trod where you are currently treading. But the source that we are to go to day in and day out, if we are to seek wisdom in our parenting, if we are to seek wisdom and what it means to have a Christian family, go to the Word. There is no greater source. There is no greater fountainhead of wisdom than to go to our Creator, the One who made us. To go to the One who decided that family would even be a thing. To go to the One who ordained that Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply and that that was to continue. There is no greater fountainhead of knowledge and wisdom than God Himself. And He is a God who has spoken. And He has spoken to us through His Word. So go to the Word. And as you raise your children, raise them with the Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So that's you, to the adult, to the parent, to the, to the leaders at home. These words, this Word of God is to be on your heart. And, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You say, well, what does diligently look like? Diligently, that's a good word. I know I'm to take that seriously, but what does diligently look like? You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I've used, I've used these verses elsewhere, I believe, on Father's Day. But if you, really, if you look at that and you say, okay, so we're to teach our children of, of, of the commands of God, the Word of God. We're to do that when we sit in our house. Okay, We're to do that when we walk by the way. All right, We're to do that when we lie down and we're to do that when we rise. Day in and day out, commit to telling your children of God and His Word and of Christ and His saving work upon the cross. When you sit down in, in the house to eat, and that's... Uh, now, this is me. This is me. I'm not saying this is a biblical command, but what I will say is this. If family is a gift from God, which it is, and if children are a gift from God, which they are, then we should be intentional about spending time together as a family. And I'm not talking about going to the movies together, taking vacations. All those things are great. Hear what I'm saying very specifically. We should be intentional about spending time together in the home, worshiping God together. And I will submit to you today that around the dinner table is a great place to do that. And sadly, we live in a world today where family meals are not nearly as popular as they once were. And that's such a simple thing. That's such a tiny thing. A family dinner. 
But I can remember growing up on Sundays. Sundays for a long time. We knew that we would go to church. And then we was going to Mamaw's afterwards. To have lunch. And I look back on those things. Now when I was little I didn't much appreciate that or care about it. I wasn't a young person saying this is really important. This is really awesome that we do family lunch together on Sunday. But I look back on that and I think man I kind of wish I would have cherished that a little bit more. As parents today, we can say, you know what? In a world that is so busy and so hectic that we never have time to do anything but make plans and then carry out those plans. And then we make more plans and then we carry out those plans. In a world that is so crazy and nonstop, we're going to make a commitment to eat together at the dinner table. And when we get done eating, we're going to worship God. And we're going to pray together. We're going to read his word together. I'm not listen to the men here that are like, oh man, we don't. How would I even begin to? You don't have to preach a sermon as long as I preach if you sit down at the dinner table to do family worship. But literally, read a psalm together and pray. Read a chapter in Proverbs and pray. Be simple. Be simplistic. But that time with your family around the table together, just. Reading from the Word of God, praying together, sing a song together where you are acknowledging God, what we have right now in this moment and what we have each and every day is a gift from your sovereign hands will be irreplaceable in the life of your children and in your own heart as you develop that habit. And I say that specifically to the men because you are to be leading at home. But when you... when when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. The clothes, imagine if our, clothing, if our closing thoughts each and every day were ending the day thinking about God's goodness and His provisions for that day. And if each morning when we rise, our first thoughts of the day is, is God and His mercies that are new. God and His grace that has given us another day. Imagine if we develop that pattern in our families. Individually is enough, but imagine if we develop that pattern in our families and we trained our children to, to pillow their heads at night thinking about God's goodness, thinking about His provision. And to wake up in the mornings thinking about God's mercies and, and what great opportunities God will provide for us today and what things He has planned for us today. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Turn now to close to the end of the chapter, verse 20, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. I want to mention something specifically here. I know a lot of parents, and this is a genuine concern, and this is a fine concern to have. I know that once you really start reading the Scriptures... And perhaps you didn't start really reading through the Bible until you were older. And you get to some of these stories where you're just like, I don't even know if I can read this story to my kid. This is kind of violent. There's some, there's some scary stuff in here. I know if I was a four-year-old or a five-year-old hearing this story, I might be a little scared. What do I do? How do I handle these tough parts of Scripture? You do it to the best of your ability. And as an example of that, I want to use what is said here in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the 
testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And He brought us out from there that He might bring us in and give us the land that He swore to give to our fathers. And you say, well, Caleb, how is that a big deal? What do you mean stuff? What do you mean stuff that's kind of hard to talk about? You're just talking about the Exodus. For those of us that are familiar with Scripture, we know exactly what's being said there. Fathers and mothers, but fathers, when in time your son comes to you and says, what, what of these laws, what of these commandments that God has given us? What of these sacrifices? Why do we do the things that we do, Dad? And that son has to, or that father has to step up to the plate, as it were, and say, Son, we were slaves in Egypt. But God sent a deliverer. And Pharaoh refused to let us go. And through many great signs and wonders, like turning the Nile into blood, sending pestilence, sending boils, and ultimately, son, God took the life of the firstborn in Egypt to redeem us. God who holds the authority over life and death took the firstborn in Egypt to grant us our redemption. He did not have to do it. But we serve the God who alone has authority over life and death. And with that authority, He has redeemed us. And He has given us life. Now, that's dark on the one hand. You say, how do you explain to a child that God took the life of so many young ones in Egypt? And so you have to tell your children of God's sovereignty that He alone has that authority and God can do as He pleases with the inhabitants of earth and the inhabitants of heaven. And then you explain to your child, with that authority, that same God who brought His people out of Egypt sent His Son to die for sinners. And me and your mom here, we are two of the ones that He died for. And He gave us you. And we get the joy and the privilege of telling you about God and His mercy and His saving grace through Christ His Son. But son, daughter, we also have to tell you of God's wrath. And His anger 
over sin. And it's a, it's a hard thing to consider. But God alone is God and He can do as He pleases. And it is His good and perfect will to save sinners through Christ His Son. All who turn to Him in repentance and faith will be saved. You say, we tell our children of all of that? I pray so. I pray so. There will come a time if it has not come already. Your child will ask you a question that you're going to think, I don't know how to answer that question right now. So as these verses say, when the time comes, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? You will either be prepared or unprepared as a Christian parent. I don't say that as a threat. I don't say that to scare you. The bottom line is, you're either going to be prepared to answer that question or you're going to hear a question that you think, I'm not really prepared to answer that right now. But how can we be as prepared as we can be for whatever our children ask of us? Be in the Word. Hide the Word in your heart. So that when the time comes that your children do ask, you can point them to the truth. Our children don't need our thoughts and our opinions. Now, hear me real clear on that. Because I mean what I said. Our children do not need our thoughts and our opinions on how we think life should work. Our children don't need our opinions or our thoughts on what we think is right. Or, well, here in this household or here in this family, this is how we do things. That's not what our children need. You say, well, what if I came from a good family? That's all fine and well. But that's not going to save your children. That's not going to lead your children to salvation. You say, well, what if I came from a Christian family? Then give them that. Give them the gospel. Point them to Christ. Because there is something greater than our thoughts and our opinions. And I know, and I'll say this, to the, to the men again. I know especially us men sometimes. We need to hear this. And women too. But I guess you could say I'm letting you off the, off the hook a little bit here. Men. Sometimes we get so headstrong that we think. Well people need to hear what I've got to say. And I, around here I'm in charge. Your children need to know. That you view life through the lens that God is in charge. That God is in control. And you submit to Him. That you don't come up with your own rules. That you don't live life the way that you think is best. That you live life according to God's Word. That's what our children need. That's what our children need. Now, we've read from Psalm 127, Psalm 139, and Deuteronomy 6. So now I just want to share some personal thoughts and some application. I want to start by listing three things that seem to be common concerns among church-going people regardless of their age. One big alarming thing that's been going on here recently is you've, you've probably seen different studies done on it. 
different studies that have been released, it would seem that young adults, teenagers and young adults, are leaving the church at a record pace. And there's a lot of people that are concerned about that. There's a lot of people that are confused as to why is this happening? Why are there so many young adults leaving the church once they go off to college? Why do they never return? So hold on to that one. Number two. What is often referred to as biblical illiteracy. That doesn't mean that you can't actually read the Bible. It just means that people read the Bible and they don't know how to interpret and understand the Scripture. So biblical illiteracy. They They don't rightly understand Scripture. Or you could just say biblical confusion. What does this actually mean? What does this actually teach? I think this. I think that. And we live in a world where there is no objective truth. And that has even crept into the church. Because church people will say, well, you can believe that way and I believe this way, and it's all good. The problem with that is Scripture is not a private interpretation. So that just leads to confusion upon confusion upon confusion, which leads to the third thing that I'll mention, splits and disunity. We talk much of, of church splits, but really, if you've, if you've been keeping up with stuff that's going on, really what we're seeing a lot more of these days is is what could be called denominational splits. It's not just church splits. Denominations are splitting over what they believe and what they stand for. And that comes from biblical illiteracy, biblical confusion. So hold on to those three things because I want to submit to you today that those three things a lot of times can actually be resolved and fought against at home. Consider with me the the process of (coughs) raising young ones. If you can think back to when they were first born, and there's really just a lot of sleeping, eating, crying, changing diapers. And that's pretty much it for the first few weeks, month or so. (coughs) But even during that time, and I I know there's many, maybe not here today, but I know that there's many that they really start to develop a habit of reading to their children before they're even born. I've heard of people reading stories to their unborn children. They just sit, they sit there and they read a story to the baby in the womb. But especially once they're here, I know that there's many that they immediately start reading to their child. And so that brings up thoughts of if you had parents that read bedtime stories to you or read stories to you, I'm sure many of us have memories of that, but perhaps... Just perhaps for the Christian family, the stories that our children hear the most, maybe they ought to be the biblical accounts and the biblical stories found from Scripture. Perhaps as we're as we're getting our children to begin talking and they're saying mama and dada and food or more. Or if they're still just wailing and crying. Maybe some of their first words could be biblical words. Now I'm not saying teach them biblical names like Jehoshaphat and Mayor Shallow Hashbaz. They're not going to spit that out. It's okay. <clears throat> but what if we taught our children early on words like grace? Mercy. So that later there would come a time where they say, Mom, Dad, you... You taught me that word, grace, mercy. What does it mean? We say, we're glad you asked. 
What if as our children grow, when they, when, when they begin to, uh, to develop their personality and they start to get into more stuff? Um, I just had like flashes of like Ren and Rose getting into stuff. Sorry, got distracted. Because we're, we're in those stages. But you can tell they start to think for themselves. For example... Ren yesterday was jumping on the trampoline. She told me to go inside. She said, Daddy, you go inside. I want to play by myself. I said, okay. Well, I did what any good dad would do. I hid behind the car and looked through the window so I could see what she was doing because I wanted to know what she wanted to do playing by herself. She had mentioned earlier, she said, this is hot. The trampoline was hot. Her feet were hot. And so I watched her and she, she stood in one spot. She looked at her feet. And then she walked to a different part of the trampoline and she would look at her feet. And then she would look up at the sun. And then she would walk to a different part of the trampoline and look at her feet. So I knew what she was doing. You know how, if you can remember to when you were a kid, you stand somewhere where it's a little bit warm, your feet eventually get used to it. Then you might walk somewhere else to see how that feels on your feet, to see if that sensation comes back. So when our children start to think, what if we as parents were prepared and what if we had planned to teach them to think biblically? Now, I'm not talking about standing on the trampoline seeing which spot is the hottest right now. I'm talking about things like what about teaching our children their role in the family? Their biblical role in the family? And teaching them that submission is not a bad thing? When God has ordained that it be so. That godly submission is good and it glorifies God. That there is a role that they have in, their, in, their, in the family. And that when they get old enough to marry and have kids of their own, then they will have a different role in their own family. And that will glorify God. What about teaching our young ones as they grow and get into their preteen and teenage years? What about, what about teaching them how to think biblically about relationships? Their friendships, how to be a God-honoring friend. What to look for, biblically speaking, what to look for in someone that they eventually consider dating. What about teaching them to think biblically about that? What about teaching our children from an early stage what wisdom truly is? Open up Scripture and you tell them the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What about instilling that in their minds from an early age that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? What about teaching our children while they're young and on through their teenage years and, uh, and as they grow and before they move out, but from the time that they're with us till they do move out and start their own lives... What about teaching them why we are here? Because by the way, isn't that the biggest question of life? That even the atheists and non-believers and most, most staunch, scientific, humanist people, isn't that the question that they all still ponder? Why are we here? What is our purpose? What is the purpose of life? What about instilling it in our children from the time that they're young Psalm 139, God made you. God formed you. 
God wrote your days in His book before you were ever even born. You exist for His glory. I exist for His glory. What about teaching our children that? Instilling that in them. Listen, listen. I know that it's important to teach our children a good work ethic. But what about teaching them that a good work ethic is important because God says so? God says that whatever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Do it in a way that pleases God. Don't try to please men with your work. Please God with your work. You see how that actually brings them closer to God? Rather than just teaching our children, you've got to work hard. In this family, we work hard. And if we're going to do something, we're going to do it right. That's nothing if you don't anchor it to real truth, which is found in the Word. If we teach our children, hey, when you grow up and you get married, you stay married because that's the right thing to do. That means nothing if we're not actually anchoring it in the biblical definition of marriage and telling them why it's the right thing to do because it honors God. If we tell our children, we don't lie in this household, we tell the truth. At the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything if we don't anchor it in truth that God is truth and God cannot lie. And because we are God's children, we are those who speak truth. We don't operate dishonestly. We don't operate with deception. Because then we are more like the serpent than we are like God. Anchoring our teaching in Scripture and truth. Through Scripture, there's life lessons for all stages. You can consider the life of Joseph and consider the sovereignty of God, but also Joseph was somebody that his own brothers hated him, they sold him into slavery. He was wrongly accused and thrown into prison. And what did he continue to do? You can teach your children, even when life is hard, even when everything seems against you, serve God anyway. Because at the end of Joseph's life, he even told his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we have a testimony of faith and a testimony of God's sovereignty in the life of Joseph. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There again, teaching our children. Even when, even when the powers that be tell you, bow the knee to what we want you to bow the knee to, or we're going to punish you, stand your ground. Do not bow the knee. Stand for God. The worst they can do is kill you. Because what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? Before they got thrown in. Our God is able to deliver us. And even if He doesn't, even if He doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow. Loose Caleb translation. The worst you can do to us is kill us. To be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. Samson. You can use Samson to teach your children about bad relationship choices. That's meant to be a little bit humorous. You can smile. Samson went out and what did he do? He picked the woman he wanted. I want her. You're going to give her to me. I want her. If you're not familiar with the narrative of Samson and Delilah, just go home this afternoon and read it and you'll understand what I mean by that. But you can also use the story of Samson as a reference to God's faithfulness. Samson was still used in a mighty way at the, at the end of his life. 
Use King David. Use King David to teach your children about God's faithfulness and man's stubbornness and man's sinfulness. King David, a man chosen by God, a man after God's own heart, who was an adulterer, a murderer, and directly rebelled against God at least one time. God said, don't number the people. And David said, I'm going to number the people. But God was faithful, even when David was not. God is the one who actually saw to it that David would be brought to repentance because God Himself sent the prophet Nathan to speak to David and to tell David, you are the man who is guilty. And that drew David to repentance. But above all else, to teach our children of Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who humbled Himself and took on flesh, the humility of Christ, the obedience of Christ. When He walked this earth, He said, I must be about my Father's business. And He was obedient even to the death of of the cross. Why? Because of His love for the Father. And He was obedient to the death of the cross because of His love for the sheep. Those given to Him by the Father. He laid down His life for the sheep and for that reason the Father loves Him. And we tell our children of the love of Christ. And we tell our children of the life The eternal life that is found only in Christ. Depending on what stage of life they are in, there's there's devotions that could be had from Scripture from every age of life. But let's go back to this this thought real briefly. Question and answer. Imagine that we as parents were more equipped each and every day than we were yesterday. Imagine that we were more equipped each and every day to answer those questions that our children asked of us. And when they asked us a question that we didn't really know, that we studied it out with them and taught our children how to study through the Scriptures, how to read through Scriptures and find those answers that we're seeking. So we close with this. couple of thoughts. What if? What if children heard from the start of God's great love, which saved mom and dad out of their sin, brought them together in marriage, and blessed them with the children that they're now raising up with the knowledge of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and the eternal life through Christ the Son? And then also consider this. Consider how great our foolishness is when we claim to know Christ and don't raise our children that way. Consider just how foolish it is when we claim to be the children of God and we do not raise our children and the admonition and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Go back to those three problems that I mentioned earlier. Young people leaving the church, 
biblical confusion and illiteracy, church splits, and even denominational splits. Imagine that there were children who were rooted in the faith, and we, along with our children, actually understood that when millions upon millions upon millions of people reject God, that this is not a reason to doubt the faith, but it's actually more reason to believe the faith because Scripture tells us that's exactly what is going to happen. Imagine children raised up, rooted, and grounded in the faith that when they went off to college and when they became young adults, they didn't want to leave the church because they actually believed what they learned at home and in the church. And at the end of the day, let there be no confusion. The reason that anybody, regardless of their age, the reason that anybody just leaves the faith and abandons church attendance and abandons the faith altogether is because they never truly actually had saving faith in what they claim to believe. And so I think ultimately the issue is we've got these children that are raised up in church and when they get old they depart and, and that's what leaves us scratching our head. Like, well, why, why are they leaving? I mean, why, what's going on? Did they genuinely have faith? Or were they just attending church? And participating as teenage kids, teenagers in the youth group. In the home, biblical illiteracy, biblical confusion could be remedied in the home. If dad and mom are consistently teaching their children, this is what God says, this is what God has spoken, this is what the Scripture says. And when those children have questions, mom and dad say, Here's the answer. This is what that means. This is the purpose of that. This is the purpose of that. And those questions are answered so that there's not nearly as much confusion and biblical illiteracy. Which would lead to when those children grew up and joined the church, those children would have a desire to see unity in the church rather than disunity. And if questions arose within the church... Those children who were raised in a solid Christian home are able to stand and give answers to their other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, this is what God has spoken. Which leads to greater unity and fellowship among the body. So all three of those problems could really be remedied and helped in the home. So with all these things in mind, it is with great joy that we celebrate here at Mindy's that there are young families that God has blessed us with and that those mothers and fathers have said, we desire to be intentional about dedicating our children to the Lord. And so, with that being said, if my family would come up and Walt and Rachel and June... Or anybody else that wants to join y'all. Y'all, as many people want to come up, come up. 